0: Hey there, before we get started, just want to let you know today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter, helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members, breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action. Goldinvestmentletter.com. Should the market be more afraid of the Fed? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jem Carson, founder of Kai Volatility. Hi, Jem, how are you? Great to have you on with us.
1: Good to be here. Always a pleasure.
0: And we were we were talking right before we went on air um, with your with your heading into the weekend shirt. You're getting us there.
1: I said, I come like on, weekend. Appropriate. Let's go. No, <laughs> it's absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Exactly. Um, we we love when we love when everyone comes with their fantastic shirts. I'm sure we're going to get some comments. You're, you're challenging Darius Dale in a shirt off. Like, <laughs> I think um, oh, that's
1: Miami territory. I can't. I can't. <laughs> that. This is Chicago.
0: <laughs> I love it. What well, Chicago's best? You rolled out in. Um, so. Really curious to get your thoughts on the markets. We we had stocks down, U.S. stocks down, bond yields also down, U.S. bond yields. VIX up a bit after hitting its lowest level in a year yesterday. I don't know. What's top of mind for you as you look across these markets?
1: Yeah, so um, markets have been in a tug of war between fundamental kind of bigger flows, which have a distinct lag to them. Right. An overhang that's kind of impending doom, call it, with structural short positioning, um, you know, reflexively uh, pushing back the other way. Right. Um, And um, this is a common story in recent history, right, in the last, uh, call it six months or plus, really. Um, And it's continuing. The difference here is, is that lag is starting to work itself. Through the economy, and I think that's the big part, right? Uh, there's 450 trillion dollars of long assets in the world. There's about 50 trillion of, of, of domestic equities. Um, most of that other 400 trillion operates on, or 350 trillion operates on a massive log, lag. Lag, uh, you know, real estate, private equity, venture capital, even equity market demand operates on the lag. Uh, because buybacks themselves, which have been at records in the first quarter, almost uh, equivalent to last year's records, right, um, are starting to fall off a cliff. So I think that lag is coming. That 5% is working through it's, through the market. At the same time, uh, you know, the, the short interest and all of the short positioning is getting, you know, going through a pain trade. Um, and that mm-hmm. is ultimately driving lower volatility, that push-pull. Um, you know, pair that with the, the Fed selling puts, giving deposit insurance back there at the, bo- uh, at the bottom, and then coming up and, and trying to sell calls and talking, you know, the market down with, uh, you know, all of that is driving ball compression, but still uh, march higher uh, until this narrative changes uh, and people get back on board. Usually these things uh, die, uh, take a long, slow death. Um, or they 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 have a dramatic squeeze before they roll over. That's what '99 was about. That's what 07 was about. That's even what Jan Feb of 2020 before you know we knew about COVID. Uh, you know, month and a half before the market rolled over. That's that's why markets do what they do at the end. So that's kind of what's top of mind where we are and how yeah. how things are moving through. The I market.
0: think that's a good. That's a really great. Thank you for that because it's a really great explanation of what seems to be things at odds with one another, you know, and and it just feeling like you know something's got to give here. It's a it's a great explanation for where we are. Um, By the way, we're taking questions, everyone. So go ahead and I know you've got them. So go ahead and put them in the chat. We'll get to as many as we can. Um, So how do you think that it'll end this time? Because if it's either a slow, painful death that works its way out, or a more kind of spectacular, dramatic end. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, Does I mean, it, the reality is like? positioning, um, you know, ultimately turns in one of two ways. And you need positioning not to be, you know, if everybody thinks something's going to happen, it's not going to happen. That's just the way markets work. People are positioned for it. That means there's there's a demand underneath the market counter that, right, um, as we saw last year. Um, So you really need positioning to turn to match the secular, you know, you need the narrative to turn against the secular realities. And that's generally what happens to at least to an extent before uh, the end. Um, And so uh, that happens in two ways. One, it happens, again, with some type of blow off top, a squeeze in price, right, that changes narrative, that also changes positioning, um, you know, structurally because people have to buy back. Um, it also tends to unpin vol. So it can happen that way, which is my, my probably top guess of how this how this ends. Or it can happen with time. Why does time matter? At some point, people give up. You know, a certain amount of time just leads people to throw in the towel. And particularly as it relates to vol, you know, people will not hold vol or convexity because there's a cost to it over time. And uh, crowding happens. The more nothing happens for some time, crowding happens into short convexity, uh, because of uh, the, it's very profitable um, as that happens. So historically, those are the two ways this resolves itself: positioning versus secular structural flows um, can unpin from uh, counter trend moves that are dramatic in fashion or time, and that's why things tend to take longer than you think, or happen very counterintuitively with some type of dramatic blow off time.
0: Yeah, and when it takes longer than you think, then people start to think it's not happening. I mean, Correct. and we we've had. People asking, in fact, a viewer just asked yesterday, what happened to the Fed rate hikes? Like, where is the impact on the economy? Why haven't we seen that yet?
1: Yeah, so, you know, that part is is a lag. That's another reason to things take longer. People see the headlines and they think, oh, oh it's already started. Uh, and again, uh, and buybacks would be that, that perfect example, right? Like, we started a year ago uh, going from zero to five uh, in, percent in rates, right? And, and yet- buybacks were are still at a at a record. Real estate uh, last housing starts showed a twenty two percent increase in in uh, you know s- single family home housing or multifamily homes. the housing starts. That's not because you know that doesn't make sense, given that interest rates have gone from zero to five, why? Because all the projects were started a year ago. And so this lag takes time to work itself through markets. People assume it's instantaneous. Q e and qt are fairly instantaneous. That's different, but we have not really had any q t, right. Um, uh, but, but the interest rate piece working through the economy is, is very much a, a huge lag that people underappreciate.
0: So when we're looking at, so we had we had economic data and you are starting to see some weakness, but it feels like every time we get a sort of steady drum beat, we had Philly Fed survey was weaker than expected, weekly jobless games were up. But every time you get that, you also see signs of strength someplace. So it still looks like it is working its way through the system. We've got a lot of Fed speakers right before we go into blackout. In fact, uh, someone asking why so many Fed speakers. Uh, But uh, Loretta Mester, out, Cleveland Fed president, speaking today, once again, signaling she supports higher rates, although putting a caveat on there that that there should be prudence around it. What are you expecting from this May meeting from the Fed?
1: So before we get into the exact what to expect from the Fed, let's talk about the why. Why? you know, you can't look at these, this 5% increase in a vacuum. Why are they increasing by 5%? You know, let's not forget we did $9 trillion of fiscal stimulus uh, in you know, a year and a half. That's more by an order of magnitude than anything we've ever done in real terms. Um, uh, that, that is still in the economy. That is still coming, you know, flowing through the economy. On top of that, we have lockdowns. China just exited lockdowns like a quarter ago. You know, they're just now re-stimulating. You have, uh, throughout that period, a a strong dollar, which is very disinflationary as well. Um, So we've had, like, actually massive disinflationary forces in the context of a very inflationary push and fiscal stimulus um, that is now those other items, like we've had dollar weakness, right? Now we have China coming back online. all under the context of that fiscal stimulus still working through the economy. So there is a demand push here that people are underestimating. There is a underlying strength to demand that, that is underappreciated. So, yes, we've taken zero to five, and that is lagging through the economy. That is a lot, by the way. Five percent change in a year is, is, a, is a ton. And that's still working its way through and counteracting this. So why haven't we seen it? Because there are countervailing forces, um, and that is what's going to force the Fed's hand to continue, in my opinion, to continue to um, increase and talk down this market, they well they need a lower market as well. They need a negative wealth effect. They need a stronger dollar, right? Um, they need several things that that they uh, that are kind of fighting against them. Never mind OPEC stepping back into the fray and underpinning oil prices, which for a while there were, were still relatively calm for the last year um, after that initial push. Um, so I think it's very important to note that that if you look back a month and a half ago. Uh, The Fed was trying to take interest rates higher um, before this little banking crisis. Uh, They were trying to talk down the market. They were trying to strengthen the dollar. They're trying to do all these things. Um, And then what happened, uh, you know, interest rates went lower. uh, Oil went higher. uh, The dollar got weaker. Um, I I think if you think the Fed's going to come in here and pivot, you're, you know, you're talking yourself into a trade that doesn't exist. Um, The Fed has been pretty clear the last several weeks and honestly, the last several months about where they stand on this. Um, so I think you know, the Fed will continue to sell calls. Um, and I think uh, just like last time, the, the markets aren't listening uh, because uh, positioning uh, is already, again, reflexively betting on that and people, the pain trade is higher. Um, but that doesn't change the secular realities of what the Fed is telling.
0: Just a reminder, the Real Vision daily briefing is in partnership with the gold investment letter helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members, breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action goldinvestmentletter.com That's so interesting. By the way, we when you're talking about the amount of stimulus that went into the economy, uh, I've got to dig it up. I don't have it on my fingertips, but I know that we put it up in our in my interview with Nancy Davis. Well, I'll try to find it and tweet it out. That it's if you look at a chart at what was happening, even with QE, what happened during the pandemic was just off the charts. I mean, it's a huge um, injection into the economy. So your your point about having to work that through is is an excellent and, win. and you it's you not over. Visually, we keep stunning. we
1: keep getting more. By the way, it's not yeah. over. And and my my prediction is the worst thing that can happen in this market is actually that we get a recession, which I don't think a you know a deep recession, which I don't think we're going to get. But that would be the worst case for this market because guess what? Next year is the beginning of an election. Uh, cycle, and uh, you better believe if the economy is not great, uh, you know, expect another two to four trillion dollars. Um, and again, people can't believe it. People have been like, oh, they're not going to do more. They said that at six trillion. They said that at seven trillion, nine trillion. Um, the reality is, it's popular, mm-hmm. and no matter what you think about the economics, it is what the the increasing, you know, the, the millennial generation on down. Uh, once, and those are the votes that people are battling for as they become a bigger and bigger part of the election story.
0: Yeah, uh, ignore the nonsense around the debt ceiling; they're all going to spend it. That's 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 what they've done uh, on both sides. For give, you know,
1: give me incentives, I'll tell you the outcome. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. I want of I, 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 couple good comments that I want to bring up uh, based off of what you just said. But since since we're talking about the difficulty of the Fed and inflation. I just want to uh, run a clip from my colleague Andreas just released his latest deno Signals um, where he's kind of focusing globally as well on what's happening with China and the China reopening as it relates to inflation. Let's listen to a clip of that and then we'll talk on the other side.
2: So um, I'll show you a chart on why I think there will be a huge building boom in China relative to the last couple of years. Uh, the dark blue chart is the yearly change in the price of credit in China? Um, so, when the dark blue goes up, it means that credit is is more easily available, both from a price perspective, but also from an availability perspective from banks. Uh, and we've seen a sharp rebound um, in the dark blue line, meaning that credit is now available to an extent not seen in a few years. And the light blue is the index of newly started um, housing construction in China. Uh, so it's been completely under the weather um, for a couple of years due to this credit contraction, due to this Lehman-like event in the Chinese economy. But now, uh, looking into the second half of the year, I am starting to convince myself that the rebound in in the construction activity will resemble um, the rebound seen after, um, for example, 2008, 2009, and after uh, the 2011-2012 debt crisis in, in Europe. So it will be, from like a sequential perspective, a very severe move from a contraction to an expansion, uh, which is typically something that spills over to asset prices uh, of relevance to this story. And industrial metals um, are obviously linked to the construction activity in China, China being the biggest consumer of copper, nickel, um, tin, stuff like that. Uh, on earth, um, meaning that the Chinese cycle is the most relevant cycle to these industrial metals. It also means that inflation could resurface in Europe and in the US with the time lag to this construction boom in China, if I'm right.
0: And you can see that full interview on the platform. It was just released today. Andreas is coming to us live from Singapore. I love it. So no wonder he's thinking about what's happening in Asia. Um, if you're not already a member, you can hit the QR code or the link uh, in the chat. Um, Jim, presumably, if we've got that working, in addition to everything else we just talked about, I mean, this is a more serious inflation problem for the Fed.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, we kind of mentioned this before, but uh, but there's there were a lot of things going for us when inflation was hot and the Fed started fighting it again. Uh, China lockdowns, um, a strong dollar, uh, oil prices uh, being kind of held down by uh, you know the reserve kind of uh, releases during the last election, um, and, and again, all those things now are going the other way. You know, all of them. The dollar is weakened. You're seeing a strength uh, for for you know demand out of China um, coming out of lockdowns, um, and uh, you know oil prices are now being held up by OPEC and and they're they're cutting uh, supply. So um, I would I would add this to the pile of things that uh, are going to make structural inflation you know are going to make it sticky. It has been sticky for some time. It's going to continue. To be the case, Um, I I really think people are underestimating. I think the biggest thing here to to realize is everybody is still trying to play some cyclical inflation game. That if we go into some recession, uh, that inflation is suddenly going to be vanquished and we are going to move out of this. uh, You know, we're going to let's play uh, the direction of bonds based on the cyclical turn in demand in the short term. Um, I think it's so important to look at the structural realities of populism of deglobalization of all uh, you know of, of resource scarcity and, and conflict that we're seeing globally that is what will underpin inflation is what underpin underpin inflation in the 60s and 70s um, we are seeing exactly the same uh, dynamics play out and that is not a coincidence that is what happens when you reach a point in a cycle where uh, a generational Uh, belief that things are unfair, that they need to be created to be more equal happens. That's where we are. Politically, this is uh, somewhat of an inevitability. People want this uh, that are younger. They they believe things are unfair. They can't afford housing. They can't afford things. And so we're going to give them money to do it, which is ultimately inflationary.
0: Uh, That populism uh, aspect is such an interesting one. And it's something I think we're going to be talking about a a lot more over the course of the summer. What about so even if you believe all of that, though, what about the issue of financial stability? I mean, can the Fed, even if they want to, fight inflation without destabilizing the financial system?
1: They can. Um, uh, to be clear, they can they can raise rates uh, while still underpinning the tail. That's what they just did, right? They just went and secured deposits um, across banks, and then they are going to keep raising interest rates everybody plays a very linear model where they're just adding all liquidity together and saying, well, what's net liquidity and what does that mean? Uh, that's not how the world works. So we try and talk about this with options all the time. It's not just a matter of up or down. Are you? There's a difference between buying deltas or buying the market by selling out of the money puts or buying stock. They're not the same thing. Liquidity is the same way. If you underpin the market by securing depositors, that is not the same thing as going and buying stocks. or or buying bonds, It uh, it is not just simple QE. Those are different things. So the Fed has underpinned the left tail, the deep left tail, but they are still here to bring down demand in the market and those things have very different structural effects and operate in different dimensions of the distribution and i think that's so critical to understand um they can do both and they are attempting to do both that is part of why the fall is dampened uh like it has uh they are both buying uh, selling calls and selling puts um on this market
0: i love it this is why it's so important to catch up with folks like you because uh i think someone described it um as uh, if you can sort of understand what's going on in options, it gives you more of a 3D view of what's happening um, as opposed to looking at it in a linear fashion. And I I think that you're right. That's so important. Uh, We've got some questions that I want to get to uh, from from, uh, some of our viewers and some observations. I love this comment from Francisco. If markets need to squeeze shorts out and make people lose conviction by painfully trading higher? Wouldn't the same logic inversely apply to the buy-the-dip mentality cemented over the last decade? This is the question. What will it take for participants to lose conviction in passive investing?
1: I think uh, you know, that's actually a great question. Uh, I think time, as I mentioned, right, will play a huge role in that. Uh, ultimately, uh, you know, there was no passive investing uh, in 1982, not because it was a technology that didn't exist. It was a technology that it was a thing that didn't work for 20, 30 years prior. Right. Uh, 68, to 82 markets went nowhere in nominal terms um, and lost, uh, you know, 70 percent of their value in real terms. So nobody passively traded, you know, didn't passively buy the market, um, I think, with time. People will begin to realize, you know, uh, my wealth advisor is not making me money. I'm paying them money um, for just buying me beta and beta's not working. Um, so so uh, much like there are very little or if you active managers left, right, because everything went into passive, I think there would be a decade plus move back to people who create value. It's more expensive. It's more fee heavy, but that's what you have to do in order to create real value. As opposed to just buy assets. So, so I think it'll take time. I think that's the biggest component. Um, The other one is pain to the downside, right? So at at some point, uh, you know, people will not lose conviction until they start feeling that pain. It's almost always a function of price and time.
0: Yeah, when you were when you were talking about the Fed taking demand out, does that does that mean that they also need to see the stock market lower? Is that part of the plan?
1: Yeah, the, a wealth effect is definitely part of, of the solution um, in their minds. Uh, I don't think it's their primary. Uh, vehicle, you know, goal uh, or way a way of affecting this, but they definitely don't want speculation. Speculation tends to also come from uh, the populace, and and the and you don't want people uh, making a gazillion dollars on on Bitcoin and uh, and tech names. You know, and tech names. Um, you know, uh, you you really uh, you want institutions to do okay. That's fine. Um, but ultimately, that you don't want that inflationary wealth effect, and that's true for real estate as well. So, there's a there's a broad need to to take some of the air out of um, out of what's going through through the market.
0: Uh, Kevin asking, please ask Jim. He ha- has he noticed an impactful increase in participants selling calls, buying puts to hedge against long positions. Also, has there been demand for margin puts? What's the impact of these flows?
1: Yeah, so uh, have not have not seen uh, much put demand uh, for a second. There we we uh, you know in the banking kind of the throes of that one week banking crisis, uh, you know there was there was a bit of a a, a spike and skew relative to where it had been. It is still elevated relative to where it was maybe a month ago. Um, but still historically very, very low. Demand is quite low for hedging. Um, two structural dynamics have happened in the last uh, six months that I think are very important positioning-wise. One, the move has been from vega, so uh, month plus out options, right, used use for hedging, to more very short-dated zero DTE. You've heard this phenomena about this phenomenon quite a bit. Short-dated gamma-intensive options for hedging uh, because vega has not performed and uh, has has been... A source of uh, losses within portfolios in a dramatic way. So people have moved to zero DT. They are very gamma intensive positions, but but what that generally leads to, uh, people assume that they get they can catch the realized move if they keep buying them. Um, but you know, and they won't need the Vega. The problem is what happens sometimes is the market won't move for some time. Yet Vega will start to wa- work its way higher. So the insurance costs can start to work their way higher on the long end of the curve, and short dated options won't h- hedge in that. Environment That usually happens before the end, before a decline. We saw that in 07 uh, in dramatic fashion. Again, we saw that in 99 uh, in dramatic fashion. And my, my bet is here now that people are no longer hedging with vega looking for gamma, that you sh- you'll likely get uh, vega implied volatility going higher despite uh, not being in, a, in the throes of a decline before a decline comes. So I think based on positioning, that seems what's likely. Separately, we've seen a dramatic amount of hedging on duration for some time. The NASDAQ uh, in particular and, and tech names, uh, that has now, as of last OPEX, right, as we went into that OPEX, we saw a dramatic reversal in activity uh, in the market as a function of that. Uh, that positioning was over hedged tech. Um, under hedged uh, kind of value in other broad sectors. Um, my guess is as vol goes higher, usually correlation goes to one. And so we'll likely see an outperformance, uh, sort of under performance in, uh, in value uh, in small cap and uh, areas of the market which have not been as well hedged um, and likely see correlation broadly go to one. Uh, even S&P vol begin to perform for the first time in years.
0: So, if anyone out there is feeling a little bit lost, because that was a, a little bit technical, <laughs> the question was, as was the answers, I'm just going to remind you that we have an entire section on options on the Academy Sorry. on our website. Um, it's it's important stuff. Um, but I, I, I heard you just say at the end, for people who may not be that familiar with this, um, since we have a wide range in the audience, it sounds like um, you're saying value is going to underperform. Is that what you're saying? Or it's going to come out of its underperformance?
1: Yes, I do believe in the short term into the next decline when it does come initially, uh, you will have a counterintuitive move of duration, particularly large cap uh, tech um, outperforming. Now, that's outperforming into a decline. That doesn't mean it's going to rally, to be clear. I think small cap value in particular, you know, Russell uh, puts, for example, are a place uh, of potential significant weakness I would even uh, think that places that are crowded, like the commodity sector, could be um, at risk into a decline simply because of how positioning is is looking in the market. Um, again, as markets decline and implied volatility rises, correlation naturally um, tends to go to one, and uh, things with a higher beta tend to outperform actually relative to lower beta. Um, things. And then again, the positioning dictates that that's probably likely to be the case as well. That said, my secular view still holds that value is a secular outperform for structural reasons, that duration is a secular underperform, that commodities will outperform. That doesn't mean that, that that pain trade won't play out first before that ultimate buying opportunity um, plays out.
0: Yeah, and this is why we talk about time horizon when we when we mention these things because there's this shorter term dynamic that you're talking about before the your sort of longer term more more secular thesis. Uh, TC asking any comments on the June VIX call action yesterday?
1: Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of under the hood, uh, you know, interesting trades, structural bigger trades, uh, both S and P VIX calls. Etc. Um, uh, they have, uh, you know, I think they they tend to have a, a fingerprint uh, of of a few entities that that uh, are fairly recognizable uh, as entities that uh, tend to be smart money. So I would I would uh, there hasn't been a massive amount of volume, but I will say who's buying is 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 uh, interesting uh, right now. Again, I don't think that necessarily means that we are. Uh, going to get a, a impending um, you know implosion in the markets. Um, but I do think it does speak to how vol is reaching a nader um, and that uh, entities who kind of get it uh, realize that that at least from a vol perspective, maybe not as much a directional equity ex, uh, you know perspective, things are likely to become are, are likely becoming interesting um in the sense that we're getting towards the, the last innings.
0: Uh, Joseph asking. So where do you put fresh money, if anywhere? The million-dollar question.
1: Well, I think the the implicit, uh, you know, what that what that implies is that uh, putting money to work means buying stocks, and I think uh, that assumption itself is flawed. I think uh, again, I, I'd like to reiterate the last. Uh, Thirty years, forty years of equity outperformance and multiple expansion has been a function of decreasing interest rates. And if we go under the secular assumption of uh, interest rates are secularly going higher, which I don't think is a necessity, you know, is necessarily the case, but is definitely highly more probable than it has been, uh, you are dealing with a with a period of particularly price to sales, which is what matters, um, massive overvaluation, and looking for a likely period of multiple contraction in the context of that. Um, so. My point is, if we are in 68 to 82, which I believe as a, a, me- a metaphor, you know, we are uh, likely heading into um, equities are one of the last things you want to buy. That said, there are things you can invest in, and I think that's different. People confuse uh, investment um, as being something that you have to buy an asset, and that's not necessarily the case. There are lots of ways to invest p- very profitably. Uh, in periods like this, uh, there are more dislocations under regime change. There are more relative value opportunities during times of uh, shifts in the market. Um, there are uh, more there's more risk um, uh, premia, to in, in d- during times like this, because liquidity is coming off the table, uh, so there are significant opportunities, as we've seen in the last year, to profit if you have uh, knowledge, if you have uh, you know an understanding of how markets work. Um, the problem is uh, your average person, everybody thinks they're uh, an investor. Everybody thinks they know how to, to manage stocks themselves. Um, expertise matters at the end of the day. And if you can find that expertise or have that expertise, it's an incredible time to be an investor.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the hard part, isn't it? As as uh, scary as this period of change or regime change is, um, that's what we're hearing. There's opportunity, but to find, figuring out what the real opportunity is, as opposed to the the red herrings, I think, is is harder for folks maybe who are earlier on the learning journey. Erin um, asking, in case of a blow-off top, do you have any opinion how it will play, short period or long, and does that indicate the depth of what follows?
1: Yeah, I would say it's kind of like stretching a rubber band. The faster it happens, uh, there's kind of three reasons why, uh, you know, this ultimately plays out the way it does. You unpin volatility the higher you go because you slide to lower implied volatilities. Calls have a lower implied volatility. So as the market goes up, vol gets low enough where it encourages investors who uh, to come buy vol and raise uh, implied uh, volatilities and make vol less supplied to dealers and structurally to the market. So I know that's a technical thing, but I think it's important to understand that dynamic is very important to kind of the unpinning of markets into uh, uh, to the upside. B, uh, you squeeze out shorts. who are trying to short the market uh, the narrative changes. You ultimately get people getting pushed back in because they believe things are turning. That psychological component is very important. But lastly, the first-order effects of simply something being pulled, potential energy of being pulled higher and higher off the floor, is like, you know, releasing a rubber band when when it does come. So. There's a reason that that markets play out the way they do. And the faster that happens, the more powerful it can be and the more volatile um, an unpinning can happen. So, yes, timing does matter. The speed of that happens, uh, that that happens matters. But again, time will itself uh, cause this uh, positioning to change. And so you can get a situation with uh, over time this happening more slowly and then eventually. Uh, positioning being more balanced. Um, But again, the secular realities still stand. And I think that's the important piece to keep in mind. It will take conviction in the face of counter uh, trend moves by definition um, to profit from these. And generally, you don't want to be early. You want to be looking for those final turns and positioning before you uh, play the secular realities of, of what's likely.
0: Um, we just all learned so much and we're already out of time. I feel like we just scratched the surface, but there's some really, really important wisdom uh, and points in there, Jim. So we so appreciate you sharing them all with us.
1: Always a pleasure to be here. We have, the, uh, we have to come on,
0: clamoring to get you back for an extended. And, and I absolutely, we will, we will make that happen. Um, so we can dig in a little bit more with some more time um, and answer some of the questions we didn't get to, but we appreciate you today.
1: It's always a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you for the great questions. We'll work on a date with Jem. In the meantime, we will be back tomorrow. Ash is going to be here with Harry Melantry. so be sure to join us for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, the Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter, helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members, breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action. GoldInvestmentLetter.com.